if we haven't met, I'm part of the team here, and it's so great to be together this morning. You know, last week, uh, we kicked off a brand new sermon series, which is going to take us all the way through Term 1, which we've called Sermon on the Mount, Following Jesus in a Fallen World. Over the next 10 weeks or so, we are looking at the most famous sermon in history, the Sermon on the Mount. This sermon, which Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 5 through to chapter 7, where he's on a mountainside, and he has his followers in front of them, and he talks about what it means to follow him. He talks about what he wants his followers to do and to be. Now, last week, we talked about how, as followers of Jesus, we should relate to the world. And we saw that, as his followers, we are to be salt and light in the world. We're to be distinctive and compelling. Today, we're going to be talking about how we relate to the Bible, and especially the Old Testament Scriptures, the first 39 books of the Bible, the the section that was written prior to the coming of Jesus. Now, I've heard it said that if you want to embarrass the average Christian, ask them to tell you about their private prayer life. Well, in a similar vein, I would suggest if you want to confuse the average Christian, ask them to explain the Old Testament to you. What does it mean? What's it about? How does it apply? Does it apply? How does the Old Testament relate to Jesus and how does it relate to us? This is where Christians can get a little bit fuzzy. And of course, if if Christians are unclear on this, it's no surprise that those outside the church are as well. In fact, a a few years ago, I watched The West Wing. It's a a political drama. It was released in the early 2000s, and it follows the fortunes of a a fictional U.S. president named Jed Bartlett. And there's a scene in season two where President Bartlett takes on a Christian talk show host, uh, particularly concerning her views on sexuality which she defends by quoting from Leviticus 18. And here's how President Bartlett responds to her. He says, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions while I had you here. I'm interested in selling my youngest daughter into slavery, as sanctioned in Exodus 21.7. She's a Georgetown sophomore, speaks fluent Italian, always cleared the table when it was her turn. What would a good price for her be? While thinking about that, can I ask another? My chief of staff, Leo McGarry, insists on working on the Sabbath. Exodus 35.2 clearly says he should be put to death. Am I morally obligated to kill him myself, or is it okay to call the police? Here's one that's really important, because we've got a lot of sports fans in this town. Touching the skin of a dead pig makes one unclean, Leviticus 11.7. If they promise to wear gloves, can the Washington Redskins still play football? Can Notre Dame? Can West Point? Does the whole town really have to be together to stone my brother John for planting different crops side by side? Can I burn my mother in a small family gathering for wearing garments made from two different threads? And President Bartlett kind of says something more to her and then he walks out of the room and it's presented as this kind of mic drop moment. And someone came up to me at the service this morning and said, I thought you were just going to leave it there and you weren't going to tell us how to respond. We'll get to that. But I wonder... It's this idea that you Christians are hypocrites, that you're selective, 
that you read and apply the passages that you like, but you ignore the ones that you don't. And here's the question, is this fair? Is this how we read the Bible? Do we pick and choose? Now, if you've ever wondered about this, if you've ever been confused by this, whether you're a Christian or not, then Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 5 today is going to help us. It's going to help us make sense of the Old Testament and the message of the Bible. Now, if I was to summarize what Jesus is saying to us in this passage, I'd summarize it this way, especially about the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus is saying to us, take it seriously, read it rightly, and then live it wholeheartedly. So let's look at those three things. Firstly, take it seriously. Here's how Jesus begins in verses 17 to 18. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. Now, this is just a shorthand way of referring to the Old Testament. The law of the prophets, it's the whole Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi. Jesus says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, until the very end of time, until the end of human history, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, not a comma, not a full stop, not anything, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus is saying, don't toss out the Old Testament. Don't get rid of it. Don't unhitch from it. Take it seriously. Now, the fact that Jesus had to say this, that he had to point this out, that he had to say, oh, I have not come to abolish the law of the prophets, it seems to suggest that some people thought he had, that he had come to kind of get rid of the Old Testament scriptures. And you can kind of understand why some people might have thought that. After all, Jesus spoke with authority, we know. Jesus would often say, truly, I say to you. Jesus taught that the way into God's kingdom, the way that we receive God's forgiveness, it's not by our law-keeping, but it's rather by trusting in Him, by faith in Him. And so some people looked at all this and they thought, well, is Jesus kind of getting rid of the Old Testament? Is He starting something totally brand new? And Jesus said, no, that I have not come to get rid of the Old Testament. The whole Bible matters. Take it seriously. And this is the message to us from Jesus, that Christians should take the Old Testament seriously because Jesus takes the Old Testament seriously. And I wonder if this is true of you, if you're a Christian. I wonder if this is challenging to you. You know, I've heard lots of Christians and even some Christian leaders kind of just dismiss the Old Testament or criticize the God of the Old Testament. You know, God in the Old Testament is so harsh and angry, but God in the New Testament is so kind and loving and gracious. So we just kind of need to, to ignore, to forget about the Old Testament. We need to focus on the new. We need to focus only on Jesus. And Jesus himself says that this is a mistake. The whole Bible matters. Take it seriously. Now, of course, many people have taken the Old Testament and the Bible seriously throughout history. Many people have been deeply devoted to the Bible, but many people have also misunderstood and misapplied the Bible. Many people have used the Bible in harmful and hateful ways. 
And this shows us the importance of interpreting it correctly, of reading it rightly. And this brings us to our second point, that the second thing that Jesus wants to say to us in this passage. Look what he says in verse 17. He says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, the Old Testament. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that this verse is the key to understanding the whole Bible. Jesus is saying, I haven't come to get rid of it, I have come to fulfill it, to bring it to completion. Now, think about it this way. About 10 years ago, uh, Molly and I, my wife, got engaged. I proposed to her in March 2013, uh, at the top of Mount Tibrogargan, actually. Made her really, really work for it. (laughs) Just kidding, she smashed it. Now, after 10 months of engagement, we got married. And from that time on, after the, the wedding ceremony, we were no longer engaged. Our engagement was over. But here's what didn't happen on our wedding day. People didn't come up to us after the ceremony and say, man, I'm so sorry that your engagement didn't work out. Oh, this is such a bummer that you're no longer engaged. It's not what happened. Our marriage was the point of the engagement. The engagement was always meant to lead to marriage. You see, the marriage, the the engagement rather, was not broken by the marriage, it was brought to completion by it. The engagement was not abolished by the marriage, it was fulfilled by it. And see, just like marriage does not abolish engagement, the arrival of Jesus did not abolish the Old Testament. Instead, Jesus' arrival was the point of the Old Testament. Jesus' life and his teaching fulfilled the Old Testament. Now, what does this mean exactly? How has Jesus specifically fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures? Well, firstly, Jesus has fulfilled the hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament, which all point to the promised Messiah. Jesus has fulfilled the demands of the Old Testament law by perfectly keeping the Old Testament law. Jesus lived a a sinless life of perfect obedience to God's law. Jesus has fulfilled the whole sacrificial system through his death on the cross. Jesus is the once for all sacrifice for sin for all who trust in him. Jesus has fulfilled the Old Testament. All of the themes and the stories and the laws and the systems and the sacrifices and the feasts, they point to Jesus and they find their fulfillment in him. And this means when we read the Old Testament, we must read it in light of what Jesus has done. In light of his life and his death and his resurrection, this is how we read it rightly. And this means the way that we read the Old Testament will change. When we read the Old Testament in light of Jesus, it means some things will come to an end. It means other things will continue to apply. And it means other things will be intensified or clarified. In fact, let me explain it to you using three different metaphors. When it comes to reading the Old Testament in light of Jesus, Jesus serves as a filter, as a lens, and as a prism. Let me explain. Firstly, Jesus as a filter. Now, what does a filter do? It removes undesirable or unnecessary substances. So if you put a filter in a fish tank, it gets rid of all the impurities, ammonia, nitrates, those kinds of things. Well, 
just like there's some things, just like that, there's some things in the Old Testament which, like a filter, Jesus removes or brings to an end. He has fulfilled them. He's brought them to completion. Now, these are mainly the, the civil and ceremonial laws which were related to the governance and worship of Israel. So, for example, like I've already said, the whole sacrificial system in the Old Testament is now obsolete because Christ is the ultimate sacrifice for sin. That's why, you know, we don't make animal sacrifices on a Sunday morning, thankfully. The cleanliness laws, you know, the laws about clean animals and, and clean food and, and, and bodily discharges and garments and fabrics and all those kinds of things, the cleanliness laws fall away because Christ is the one who makes us clean. I mean, the requirements related to temple worship are finished. Why? Well, for starters, the temple was destroyed in AD 70. So you literally cannot obey, obey those laws about going to the temple. But the real reason is that Christ is our true temple. He is the true meeting place between God and man. So you see, Jesus serves as a filter for some things in the Old Testament. And if I had the courage, and if I was there, this is what I would have said to President Jed Bartlett. I would have said, all those laws and all those penalties that you've mentioned, they related to the worship and the governance of Israel. They related to a specific nation at a specific time in history. And they were also pictures of greater realities which have now been fulfilled in Christ, which is why we no longer observe them. Now, he might have said to me, okay, but what about the Old Testament teaching regarding sexuality? Why do Christians continue to observe those laws? And this leads us to our second category, which is Jesus as a lens. Now, again, what does a lens do? Some of you are wearing them right now. They, they bring things into focus. They clarify things. They sharpen things. And this is what Jesus does with parts of the Old Testament. He reaffirms and reapplies them. Like, for example, the Old Testament teaching on marriage and sexuality. Jesus reaffirms Genesis 1 and 2 on multiple occasions. You see, most of the moral laws in the Old Testament, Jesus reaffirms and reapplies. Like, care for the poor telling the truth, generosity, the danger of idolatry. Jesus reaffirms and reapplies these things. Jesus serves as a filter. He brings some things to an end. He serves as a lens. He brings some things into focus. But Jesus also serves as a prism. Now, what's a prism? Well, this is the most famous one that I know of. Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. Now, you can see there that a prism refracts I've got to work in music references whenever I can. You can see there that a prism refracts or bends light. So when the light comes out the other side of a prism, it's the same light, but it looks a bit different. Or it's heading in a different direction. And this is what Jesus does with some Old Testament teaching. He refracts it or, or bends it or intensifies it. Or we might say he properly interprets it. I mean, this is basically what the whole next section of the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Jesus is going to take teaching Old Testament laws, and he's going to show their proper interpretation. He's going to talk about things like anger and adultery and revenge. And he's going to say, you've heard it said that this is what this law is about. This is what the way that people have been teaching it. But I say to you, this is actually what it's all about. It's not just about what's happening on the surface. It's actually about what's happening underneath. 
It's about what's happening in your heart. So, for example, when Jesus talks about adultery, he says, it's not just about what you do with your body. It's actually about, and begins and is rooted in what you think in your mind. Jesus clarifies and intensifies and reveals the true and deeper meaning of these teachings. And so when it comes to understanding the Old Testament, Jesus serves as a filter, brings some things to an end. Jesus serves as a lens. He brings some things into focus. And Jesus serves as a prism. He brings out that their deeper, true meaning. He helps us to read the Bible rightly. Now, the truth is, again, there have been plenty of people throughout history that have done this. They've taken the Word of God seriously. They've learned to read the Bible rightly. But again, if we're honest, they haven't lived it out. Hasn't changed the way that they live their lives. And this leads us to the third thing, third and final thing that Jesus says to us in this passage, which is live it wholeheartedly. Look at what he says, verses 19 to 20. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now listen to this. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Strong words, aren't they? More righteous than the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. There was a saying in Jesus' day that if only two people are allowed to enter heaven, then one will certainly be a teacher of the law and the other a Pharisee. I mean, these guys were thought of as the moral all-stars of Jesus' day. They were considered to be superior to everyone else. I mean, they made rules to help them keep the rules. They're that kid at school. And Jesus is saying, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you need to be more righteous than them. It's like someone saying to a prospective university student, unless your IQ exceeds that of Albert Einstein, you will certainly not enter university. Well, I'm not going to university then. I mean, what's going on? How can our righteousness surpass that of the Pharisees? John Stott, the, the British Bible teacher, gives us a great answer in his commentary. Listen carefully to what he says. He says, Christian righteousness far surpasses Pharisaic righteousness in kind rather than in degree, in type rather than in amount. Christian righteousness is greater than Pharisaic righteousness because it is deeper being a righteousness of the heart. We need a different kind of righteousness. Not just kind of external conformity to rules. We need an internal transformation of our heart. We need a righteousness that comes down from above and changes us within. Not just one that we kind of work up on our own. And this is what makes the good news of Jesus such good news. Because this is what Jesus offers to us. This is what Jesus gives to us. The righteousness that God's law demands, Christ supplies. 
the righteousness that you and I need to enter into the kingdom of heaven, Christ freely gives. Think about it this way. Imagine you're at the pub. Some of you just woke up again. And we're standing at the bar together and you hand me a pint glass. Now this could be one of two things depending on whether the glass is empty or full. If the glass is empty, you're making a demand. Saying, it's your round, it's time to fill this up and, and, and pay what you owe. If it's full, you're giving me a gift to enjoy. To take, to receive, to enjoy. And friends, this is an imperfect picture of what Christ has done for us. Because during his life, Jesus kept the law of God perfectly. He obeyed it fully and from the heart. He lived a life of perfect righteousness. And he now hands it to us as a gift to be received by faith. He doesn't give us an empty glass and say, there you go, now go and fill it up. He gives us a glass full to the brim of his finished work. And he says, take it, receive it, enjoy it, and live your life in light of it. And you see, this begins to change us from the inside out. We begin to want to obey God's law, not as a way to try and earn our way into God's good books, into God's family, but because we've already been brought into it. We want to please our Father in heaven. We don't just want to kind of set aside his commands. We want to learn to practice them. We want to learn to live them wholeheartedly. And this is always what the Bible has been aiming for. The prophet Jeremiah Thousands of years ago, God said this through him. He said, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. This is what Jesus gives to us and this is what Jesus does for us. He gives us the gift of his grace and his forgiveness. He gives us the full glass, which leads us to want to obey him and please him and keep his commands. And in fact, this is a good test of the genuineness of your faith. Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, it doesn't mean perfectly. I've said this to you so many times. The Christian life is not a life of perfection. But it is a new direction. It's a new desire to want to obey God. To want to submit to God. To want to keep his commands because you know that they're for your good and they bring him glory. So do you have that desire? You know, the next few weeks will actually be a great test because Jesus is going to talk about all different kinds of Old Testament commands. He's going to intensify and interpret and apply them. Anger, lust, adultery, revenge, all of these big important topics in our lives. And if we hear what Jesus says to us and our response is just to kind of brush it off, just to dismiss it, rather than actually desire to obey it and live in light of it, it might reveal that we don't truly know and love Jesus. Jesus wants us to take the word of God seriously, to read it, to hear it, to receive it. And he wants us to read it rightly, to read it in light of what he's done for us, to receive that glass that is full to the brim and allow it to change us from the inside out. So what's your response today? Maybe you're not a Christian. 
And maybe your response is to just consider the message of the Bible. To, to, to consider whether this really truly is God's word to you. Maybe if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, it's time to, to submit yourself and to feed on God's word again. It, it's been neglected. And it's time to allow God to speak into your heart and into your life through his precious word. Whatever it might be, we, we all have a, a step to take today in response to all that God has done for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he has lived the life that we have failed to live. That he fully and from the heart submitted himself to your word and to your law. And thank you that through his atoning death on the cross and his life-giving resurrection, he holds out the glass to us. And it's not empty, it's full to the brim. And we can take it and we can receive it. We can enjoy it. And we can live our lives in light of it. Knowing that we don't have to earn our way in, but we've already been brought in by Jesus. And now we want to do what is pleasing to you. We want to take your word seriously. We want to read it rightly and we want to live it wholeheartedly. And we pray this. In Jesus' name, amen.